If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. I'm Stephanie J. Block, and I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks, and we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes, hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and in the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Kat, why are we always waiting for you? You know, not always. always. Not always. This morning, my internet was always. being funky, but here <sighs> I am. An actual excuse, a solid excuse. I was late yesterday because a frog stole my shoes. Oh, that's man. how ridiculous excuses sound. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a strongly worded letter to that frog because that's you not should. okay. You know what's weird is when you lose one shoe. How's that possible? How do you lose one shoe? Like I put them on together. I never left the apartment or the house with one shoe I never came back with well maybe there are times where I've come back with just one shoe but mm-hmm. it's weird where like when I take them off I put them together like those two shoes are together yeah. so it's a strange thing I'm gonna anyway guess, I'm gonna guess Dan or Raja may have had something to do with that I don't think Raja Dan does Dan but Dan tends to take shoes and bring them to me Dan for That's everyone adorable. who doesn't know is not a child that I'm keeping under wraps. He is my dog. He's my golden <laughs> retriever. And he likes to bring my shoes to me every now and then just to remind me that he's there and he loves me. And that's very sweet. Anyway, that was all nonsense. What we should be talking about is welcome back to episode two yes. of Return, Return to, the, to shadows. the Hello, Shadow Fam. Welcome back to the podcast. We get to talk about a brand new episode with you guys. We're very excited about it. Yes. In episode two, the race is on to find the Mortal Cup and Clary's mother. 
Clary's memories may have been the key to finding her mother and the Mortal Cup. With the knowledge that Valentine is alive and on the hunt for the Mortal Cup, the Institute is on high alert. No wanting to waste time, Jace pumps into action and figures that Clary's memories are the key to finding Jocelyn and the Mortal Cup. Unfortunately, Clary's memories were wiped out, leaving her with no recollection of any of this other life that could be the help for her and her team. With only one other option remaining, Jace, Isabel, and a very reluctant Alec take Clary to the City of Bones to face the powerful Silent Brothers. Meanwhile, Luke continues his search for Clary, and Simon tries to come to terms with his best friend's new life. So much happening. (laughs) Episode two. It's exhausting. How did we even get through it? So the title of this episode is The Descent to Hell Isn't Easy. It aired originally on January 19th, 2016, was written by Ed Dechter and Holly Overton, and directed by the wonderful Mick Garris, who, incidentally enough, directed the original miniseries of The Stand back in the day, which I did the remake of last year on Paramount+. Plus. How exciting. So here we are. Here we are. We're back. We're back. Where did we exactly what happened when we left off? So we left with the three of us outside the Institute, right? Outside mm-hmm. the decrepit Institute, dead circle member. Simon's just seen his first dead body. You're dressed like a leathery drug addict. Yes. Hanging out with a complete stranger. <laughs> and the the classic visualization of the triangle. <laughs> Clary, come with me. Clary, come with me. I'm looking back and forth between these two. Very handsome gentlemen. I stand to reason that Clary potentially made the wrong choice there. I think Simon was the obvious choice in that in that scenario. Jace has promised that there is some way that we could find your mother, but Simon's your best pal. He'd figure it out with you, you know? I mean, in any sense of reality, that would have been the more reasonable choice, but we're not in reality, Dom. We're in the shadow world. We are not. We don't deal with reality. We deal with surreality. Is that a real word? It is now. Linked with reality? I don't know. It is now. Coining it. Dom Show and TM. Cat. Yes. Why don't you tell us a little about the the book to screen stuff? The you you and Alberto particularly were very good at pointing out things that were reflected directly from the book to the screen. So why don't you hold our hand through some of that? Absolutely. So we get to see a lot of elements that we see in the first couple of books in this episode. And it's these first few episodes, going back and watching them, I forget how much we had to kind of establish and learn even ourselves about this world. You know, we learn a lot more about the circle and the uprising that is sort of the Shadowhunters' history in this episode. And that includes Hodge's involvement and, you know, all of the lineage that all of our characters represent in in various different ways. We also get to see the City of Bones for the first time, which we'll talk about a little bit later because there's much to discuss. We sure will. And uh, we also get to see little fun elements. Our writers were so good about planting all these Easter eggs in about the different characters of things that were in the books from Simon and Clary calling themselves a package deal to Isabel being a bad cook to Alec rolling his eyes all the time and you know Jace fiddling with his stele. Yeah, the the whole nightmare of the stele season 1. These I think we spoke about this briefly in the last episode. They were awful. God, they were these brittle like made out of I don't even know, like the most fragile rock ever to have graced the planet with its presence, but it was it was something that I added in because you know These little, like you say, these little cool Easter eggs that were directly from the books to the TV 
fans and you know it's a it's a nice thing for us to be able to do and for the writers to do especially as a nod to how these stories started mm -hmm. and the fans that will you know irrevocably we're always going to have fans that read the book and I wasn't their perfect Jace or you weren't their perfect Clary or whatever it was you know the one that they had in their mind and they're they're not going to be particularly happy with that so that's the imagination of how you read books however I think as the more that we could put these little pieces in that it's like, hey guys, we didn't forget about you. We know that you started this journey off with us and we're glad you're still here with us. So that's really important to show you that we appreciate where you know we started and all the credit for that really goes to the writers. Absolutely. Yeah. So now we step inside the Institute and we get to see one of my favorite elements of the shadow world, which is the use of the glamour rune. Yeah. And we got to do this fun, you know, our, well, I'm not sure about you, Kat, but my first sort of foray into what big CGI stuff looks like. And it's interesting because you sort of assume that there's going to be sort of wind on set. And sometimes there is, sometimes there's wind and effects and stuff that goes on around you. With this, you just sort of stand still and imagine that it's happening in front of you. You just sort of yeah. pretend that whatever this thing is, is going on, which obviously it wasn't. So it was a very strange thing for I think Alberto as well hadn't really done any CGI any big CGI stuff before so it's an interesting place to be where they're just like and you know imagine that this chandelier is on the floor and it's being picked up by magic and you know the paint is regrowing itself along the walls and the lights all changing and then these people are appearing and then you know the difference in reaction between obviously Jace who's seen this a thousand times and Simon who was like, uh, good grief, what is going on here? This is absolute <laughs> lunacy. Um, so it was an interesting, you know, it was an interesting thing for us to do for the first time. It was really good fun. Yeah, 100%. And it's, it, it, you know, CGI looks so cool in the end, but at the beginning, it's really just is a lot of talking of all of us going, okay, what is this going to look like? And how do we do this? And what are we seeing? And I think, you know, it's such a credit to our VFX teams, both in season one and then folks VFX who came in for season two and three, because they always had so many visuals and so many tools to help us know what we were seeing. Because oftentimes it was a first AD with a tennis ball, <laughs> which we'll talk about in a few episodes. So come back for episode 10. Yeah, we sure will. <laughs> but yeah, good fun. And then uh, moving on, the Mortal Cup. So we get to, I mean, I feel like Hot Hodge should be higher up on our list of things to discuss. I, I think John Corr and his bulging muscles and his glorious beard and his wonderful intensity as an actor should be higher up on the list of things that we're going to talk about. And as a result, I'm usurping the list that I have in front of me and I'm putting him higher up. Do it. More John Corr. More John Corr. So Kat, you, again, this is a book, uh, a book differential that you yeah. know more about. So in the books and actually in the original film of the Mortal Instruments as well, we see Hodge depicted as sort of a teacher, professor-esque, librarian type, older gentleman. And in our series, as is wont to do as we see the series move on, they decide to cast arguably the most attractive people possible for any of these roles. Um, but also wonderful humans and brilliant actors who bring just as much character as they do looks and aesthetics to the show. But the fans very quickly deemed John Corr Hot Hodge, and I, I thought it was quite apt. You're correct. Yeah. Hot Hodge. There he is. And via Hot Hodge and his glistening muscles, we get to learn a little more about the circle and a little more about the mortal cup, which again, you know, it's interesting when you, when you film the first two episodes of something especially when they were based on a book, it's entirely too easy sometimes to forget that 
we are welcoming the book fans into our version of this world that they already understand thoroughly. And then also welcoming an entire group of new people who have never experienced this before. So as much as some of it might seem a bit clinical, when we're talking about it on screen, you know, this is the circle, there was an uprising that happened a generation ago, and they were led by this person, and this happened, and we were punished because of it, and blah, blah, blah. What you have to remember is that we're explaining this for people that haven't had any inkling towards our story before. So as much as it does sound a little trivial at times, it's really important for us as storytellers to tell the story to people who don't know. So Hodge is sort of our our vehicle, I suppose, our storytelling vehicle into being like, look, this is what went down. The shadow hunters know. So we can't just dive into this story and and not explain what's going on. So Hodge explaining to Clary is our sort of grounding, our first grounding of like, this is the history of shadow hunters. This is the war that we thought we had put behind us, but seemingly is been thrust back against our gates. Your seemingly lovely balanced world that, um, you know, I just had to stumble my way into. Um, but it, it is interesting. And that's something that, you know, we we keep seeing with the story over the course of it as we meet more characters. There, Everything is connected and everything is linked. And there's such a sort of tradition to this kind of ancestral world of the shadow hunters where all of these families have been ingrained in this sort of tradition for generations and it's up to our generation to question everything and to make those changes and to kind of try and fix the problems that our parents and Hodges and other elements just uh, uh, thought they had solved or accepted or put behind them. Mm -hmm. It just provides more and more layers to this, this world and this story. I agree. It also does say on my notes breakdown that Kat and I were the first ones to do scenes with John, which actually I think was fairly common for us. I think it was normally one or other of us or both of us. I think fairly often for us, I'm thinking about, you know, the other sort of stars that we had in and it was pretty common that it was you and I, right? You're right, Dom. We do often get the the privilege of welcoming people into the show. And I think we did that as well, kind of on a personal level. You know, I remember we totally our our ADs got very good at telling us, hey, this person is here for their fitting. They're over mm-hmm. here if you want to say hi, because that's, you know, that's what we do. We we try and not only lead the show on screen, but we also lead the social life of the show and and try and make people feel as welcome and comfortable as possible. Totally. Next up, we just got our first inkling of it in episode two. Sizzy beginning to sizzle. Oh, yes. First of all, so much fun to say. Sizzy sizzling? Sizzling sizzy. Amazing. But we do get that first little moment where Alberto just doing his amazing Simon thing. You see him sort of deer in the headlights with this gorgeous woman sad stood in front of him. And that first little interconnectivity moment, which is really wonderful to see. Jason, Clary, those relationships picked up quite quickly and we sort of knew the direction that they were going in fairly quickly whereas Izzy and Simon really took its time and then sort of dissipates and they go their separate ways and whatever and that's all to be discovered later on in the series which I think is really cool Mm -hmm. but yeah that was our this is our first Sizzy moment in episode two season one. And as we're continuing with these you know cooking references the writers were very good at putting Sizzy on on a slow simmer Oof. for a long time and just it was always there you could always you could always catch catch a glimpse of it coming or their connection or a whiff of of the aroma yeah coming i don't know this is this is divulging too quickly i'm going to i'm going to move on it, here's my thing <laughs> about about Izzy not being able to cook 
Because Izzy, we see Izzy eat normal food. So she's aware that what food should taste like. Yeah. So is she not aware that her food that she cooks tastes different to that? Is she is she entirely unaware that this bowl of like sturgid slop that she serves Simon isn't appetizing in any way, shape or form? I mean, potentially. But also, you know, we all, not not everyone is like you, Dom. We're not all good at everything. Wow. That, everyone got that. We recorded that, right? That's that's going to be my ringtone now. For every time Kat calls, it's just going to say, Dom's good at everything. Yeah. That's amazing. There you go. That's lovely. It might be my alarm as well. Perfect. Happy to happy to help. But, you know, if you are accustomed to a certain breakfast that you make or something that is, you know, becomes a habit in your life, you may not know that it's, you know, not the epitome of culinary perfection. Fair enough. However, Back to Izzy's cooking, that does bring us back to some of my favorite book moments that we finally get to talk about in this episode, being the the interaction between Alec and Clary, and Alec calling Clary a little girl, and the my name isn't little girl line, which is, it's a really iconic exchange from the book that gets memed a lot and gets made into fan art quite a bit, and uh you know, as someone who read the books, it's it's always exciting to get to do moments like that or the, you know, emotionless G.I. Joe and having Clary and Jace have a conversation about, wait, what's G.I. Joe? And, you know, it's the sort of back and forth of explaining, Clary explaining the mundane world to Jace and Jace explaining the shadow world to Clary. And it, it establishes this really entertaining dynamic between all of these characters. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. 
Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. that sort of moved us on fairly neatly to Clary's budding relationship with Jace. And I think this comfortability for these two characters came from one, both being outsiders, which is a very normal human trait, which I think w- was one of the things we did very well in the show is pairing the fantasy ridiculous storyline with this reality that like, Oh, I've been through that. And that makes sense to me, you know? But I think the the cool thing we did about this budding relationship is so much of it was based in instinct. So much of it was based in her being enveloped in this world and just it making a, an understanding sort of process that hadn't really had legs to do so in the past. And we sort of discussed this a little more in episode three, where your instinct starts to take over and, and we feel what that feels like between the two of them. But I think that was a really cool, this is a really cool start to this where Clary really does lean into Jace um, and Jace, you know, really brings her under his wing because he understands this. He understands who she is. He understands what it's like being astray. And not only that, which, you know, we never really discussed before filming, but Matt and I have discussed since is Jace's role in this, in this relationship very much became Alex's role in Jace's life. When Jace first met the Lightwoods and when Jace was first brought into their family, the reason Jace, I think, is so passionate about doing it is because he's seen his big brother do this once before. He understands what this is like and he understands sort of the pay it forward motion of what this is like, oh, or maybe less so of like an emotional connection to it, just more in a very shadow hunters way 
this is how we do things. Like someone brought me in and they took care of me and I now have this other sort of lost little bird that needs to be taken care of. And like, this is just how we do it. I'm going to take care of this one. Exactly. Which I thought was interesting. And it's a really cool way to start this relationship. A hundred percent. And, and you know, as you're talking about instincts, Jace has instincts of his own and sees that potential in Clary and sees, as you said, this lost little bird. And, and you know, Clary's kind of at this point floundering and trying to get some kind of solid ground underneath her. And Jace becomes that. And Jace encourages her and, and kind of brings her into this world and, and, gives her the confidence to trust those instincts, whether they be the visions that she has because of the portal shard or knowing where to find Dot or, you know, any of these other elements that we get to see moving forward, which then... <laughs> so then a whole mess of shit happens from there. But Oh my goodness. I think if you're, if you're doing what I think you're doing, the solid ground thing has pinged a link <laughs> to me here, which I think is hilarious that that's worked out that way. Cat. Tell us, tell us about Clumsy Cat. Tell us about, let's let this, episode two is the first time we really got to meet Clumsy Cat, mm-hmm. which was fun. Mm-hmm. Tell us about Clumsy Cat. I'm sure that was so fun for you. So as many people know, I am not the most graceful individual from time to time. Most of the time. I trip over nothing constantly. But, you know, we were all still getting to know each other and I was still getting to know the crew. And, you know, I, I wanted to, I wanted to look cool. And I went, which is not in my nature. And I wanted to be able to be like a badass with everybody else. And we had this great scene that they'd set up in Pandemonium during the day. We were going to find Dot and storming the castle in a way. And I was flanked by you and Matt. And we were just walking in, taking the place by storm to go find Magnus. And um, we turned the corner and I was in eight inch stiletto boots and uh, may or may not have slipped. And next thing I knew, I was on my butt. And facing an entirely different direction. And I think I I provided some solid comedic entertainment for the entire crew and you, but um, not necessarily my original intention. For four years. For four years this (laughs) happened. Like, we would walk on set. There were times where we would walk on set and we'd look at the floor and be like, there's no way. There's no way she can do this. There's no no way on earth unless they've given her normal shoes. And 90% of it wasn't your fault, by the way. Like, the aesthetic for the show was these high heels and this like cool thing for you guys to be in and it looked amazing but there were a lot of times where you're like nah there's it just can't happen there's no way the irony being the only person i think in the cast who got sent to the hospital was me and i had (laughs) normal shoes on the whole time i had regular like the shoes i had like combat boots on that were designed for combat like normal things and i got sent to the hospital and cat didn't hey but the the thing is, four years in, when somebody trips on set and they go, oh, I pulled a cat, you know you're the one who trips all the time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Let's move on, Cat. What do you want next? What What is your focus being drawn to? So now Luke has a really interesting role in this episode when he discovers that Clary saw him talking to the Circle members and, you know, being the astute detective that he is, puts the clues together to discover that, ooh, she probably has the wrong impression of what's going on. But, you know, it's it's interesting because that's another change from the book. I don't know if you recall this, but in the books, Luke owns an antique bookstore, which is something yeah. that gets brought in in season three it does. of the show, but we'll talk about that later. But having him be a police officer instead 
lends itself to Isaiah Mustafa quite well, given that he is, you know, the the imposing badass figure that he is. But also it provides this kind of, as you said earlier, an element of reality being brought into the world and this kind of uh, other avenue to explore. Absolutely. And one of the fun things about Isaiah too is he's, Isaiah is such a softie. Like he, he's such a, he's just like a gentle like caring, big, like huggable dude. That's who he is. And he really looks after every, you know, all of the people around him sort of constantly, which is really nice. So to see him, that first little sort of faux, like, is he a bad guy thing? I don't know how many people bought that because he does such a good job of being like this caring father figure. So I, I think that might be why that storyline didn't last very long because everyone was like, him. Captain Lovable. I don't know. I think he's a good guy. I think I, he's a good dude and we like him as a good guy, you know? A hundred percent. It's very hard to believe that the most lovable of us, arguably, could ever be a villain. Although we all got to we all got to have our villainous streak from time to time. We all had villainous moments. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, all of us. I, I, all of us on Simon? this podcast currently. Does Simon ever have? Yeah. Does he? When? Well, uh, actually, episode nine of season one. When he's learning his... Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Throughout the show, actually. It happens a couple times. He does. He absolutely does. But we'll get to that. We will get to that. But but now we tackle the fact once we can't find Dot and Magnus won't recover, can't recover the memories. The only recourse, as Jace very astutely points out, is... Silent Brothers. We have to go to the Silent Brothers. Duh. Much to Alex's chagrin, which I have to say, I love Grumpy Alex so much, and I miss Grumpy Alec from time to time. I forgot how absolutely hysterical Matt Daddario is as Grumpy Cat Alec. You know what's fun is I know I notice it. The fans find it, and there are some really cool. There are some really cool like screen <laughs> moments, like screen capped moments of. Matt being grumpy Alec like there's one my one of my absolute all-time favorite ones is when you guys this is in season two I think and you knock on uh is it Iris Rouse's house oh yeah townhouse can't remember exactly who it is you not but they you get asked oh is this your boyfriend and he's just in the but no words he just goes <laughs> mm. like and it's no. the most hilarious reaction like that grumpy Alec moment of like no he isn't go why are you asking me that but potentially my favorite Grumpy Alec moment happens in this episode. And it's sort of, I don't know if you remember, became a Matt Dario classic. Matt is the original Salt Bay. We know this because he he, he had this moment on set where Simon and Izzy and we all of us were talking. And he just goes, I can't be here anymore. And this just became a thing. I don't know. For those of you who are watching, there's a very specific hand movement that goes along with that. Very, very Matt Dario. Very Matt Dario. Very Matt Dario. And still happens to this day. If I say something that upsets him, he'll give me the uh, not interested in what you're saying. Very funny. <laughs> We're a big fan. Interestingly, in this episode, we visit the City of Bones. The dreaded City of Bones. Which we need to discuss. We do need to discuss the City of Bones. We uh, called over to The Strain, which is another show that shot in Toronto at the time, and said, hey, you have catacombs, right? There's a lot of bones and things can we throw a couple runes in there for a day and stitch up mouths and, just, and, and a statue, yeah. which was the same statue they used in the film? It was. We have two of those. We have two of those in this episode. We do. We have the statue. And do you want to tell the folks at home what the other? So our silent brother, Stephen, who mm -hmm. um, is the man with the voice, 
as <laughs> as we actually really never really got to see his face that often unless you caught him in the makeup yes. trailer you wouldn't see his face because he was in the silent brother facade the whole time but steven was our silent brother and was also the silent brother in the movie so we got to transfer him over which was really good fun i mean he really is the only person who could have played brother jeremiah agreed the the height and the voice and he just embodies that sort of spirit of gravitas yeah Agreed. Agreed. And then obviously the statue we had. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's again another time where Clary entirely puts her trust in Jace. And Jace is, this is the other thing that I think is why she's able to trust him so much because he's honest with her. He goes, look, there's about a 50-50 chance you're going to die. Are you okay with this? And she says, yeah, you were honest. So let's do this. I want to find my mom. Yeah. And again, that kind of establishes that team dynamic. I mean, Clary will never replace Alec as a parabatai, but Jace and Clary are another kind of, they become a team in battle in, in another sense, in, in many of the circumstances in the show. And I think this is kind of the first time we see that and see them going, look, these are the risks. This is what's going to happen. Are you good? And they kind of take that leap of faith together, sometimes literally. Yeah, we'll talk about that day, <laughs> the leap of faith day, much later on in the podcast series, because, man, oh, that pissed yes. me off. Oh, I was upset about that that day. But we'll talk about that another day. Another I day. Know you were. This is interesting in the notes. I didn't know that Nephilim Facilis Descendo Severne was wrong. It was written incorrectly on the sword. What? That is no. saying it here. Am I, oh, have I made that up this morning? No, you didn't, but I didn't, I didn't, I'm, I'm acting, Dom. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. I see. I see. I see. So you did know that that was a thing. Go with the bit. Sorry. Go with the bit. Sorry. I didn't know that. I didn't know that that was the case, which is strange because I'm pretty sure I couldn't learn the Latin. So I just read it off the sword that day. So it's possible that I <laughs> said it wrong in the show as well. Latin's not, it wasn't one for me. Latin, we never it's had okay. to learn. I should have known, given that I took Latin in high school, but it had been it'd been a few years for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But also, it's you know we get to see the city of bones, and and we get to see again another iconic book moment brought in, and it brings up another massive element that I realize now that you know no, having read the books and going into it, I knew, but the audience for the first time, if they hadn't read the books, finds out that Valentine, this big bad that's been set up as, you know, brilliantly by Ellen Van Sprang as our sort of Darth Vader, Voldemort, epitome of all evil, is Clary's father. Not good. Yikes. Not good. Oh dear. Not good. Not good. (laughs) So, you know, just giving Alec more fodder for their kind of hateship to contentious relationship yeah. to lack of trust in this little girl who has so fortuitously stumbled into the world and and maybe gives Jace a moment of pause. As to, yeah, ooh. interesting. There is definitely a moment, and I remember this, and I remember talking about it with Mike, that moment of like, oh shit, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> like, have we made a huge mistake helping this person out? Yeah. Like, because Alec is right. He says like, I can't remember if it's in this episode or later on, but he goes, this girl just drops out of the blue, a new shadow hunter who we've never met before and happens to be the daughter of our greatest enemy. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really have an answer for that. Doesn't sound great when you put it like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not good, but we're going to help anyway. I say this, and I will say this phrase more and more as we go on. The shadow hunters are not very bright. We don't make good decisions. (laughs) 
as a general rule, we don't make good decisions because that makes good television. Yeah. If we, if every time, you know, every time you watched a horror movie and you're sat in your chair at home going, don't go in there. There's a bad guy in there. He's going to kill you. If they didn't go in, that would be a boring film. Mm-hmm. So what we do as Shadowhunters is you scream at your TV, don't do that. This person's behind you. They're going to kill you. Or if you go in there, you're going to do this. Or if you grab the sword, you're going to kill everyone. Like all of this stuff. <laughs> and we're just like, ah, we're going to do it. Just we're going to do, do it. it. We're going to ignore all of our training. We're just going to do fine. it. fine. Happens a lot. Yeah. But equally too, for Clary, it's this moment of you know, she doesn't have her memories. She doesn't know any of this and already feeling helpless and lied to in a way by her mother about her entire past. Then just finding out another layer of, oh, great. So not only did my mother lie to me about what I am and who I am and she's gone and all this, she also failed to tell me that my father is basically the epitome of all evil. Great. Yeah. And the one person that's helping me now you know, all of that trust may be undermined and I may be just completely out and alone. And alone. And then even more so when we exit <laughs> the City of Bones, having just learned this information, both Jace and Clary reeling, we find that Clary's only other one solid piece of stability has now been strung upside down by the one and only David Castro as Rafael Santiago. Rafael one of our most influential young vampires. Young vampire? It's not right, mm, but sure. And our most influential vampires. Yeah. Hey, girlfriends! It's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. 
You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Oh, poor, poor people, poor guys, honestly, just bad to worse. It's yep. a constant bad to worse scenario. Yep. This is Alberto's first time being hung upside down. Yes. And when we get Alberto on the show, we're going to talk about how many times he got hung upside down. <laughs> how many times? Because it happened, it happened quite a bit. Uh, hung upside down, tied up, stuck to a chair, just everything. The poor guy. Oh God, stuck to a sofa. Remember That's that? right. Yeah. He oh he kind of went through it. He did. He went through it. This is a fun thing for that to happen. And also obviously we didn't put those actors up at the top of the of the, you know, precipice in this in this massive underhanging bridge. They were obviously on a green screen. And for those who don't know uh, the intricacies of how a green screen works. It's very similar to what we were talking about earlier with the uh, the changing of the Institute and this CGI uh, computer-generated imaging that happens post us filming it. They add it all in later with a computer. A green screen is very similar. So they will hang poor Alberto upside down on a very solid rig with matting underneath him. So if anything goes wrong, he falls onto something comfortable with literally a green colored screen behind him, which is then easily deleted with a computer. I actually think there are a lot of like Instagram filters and stuff now that use a very similar premise where you can put something behind you. But that's this is sort of how it originated was in film and TV, being able to erase a background and add in a new background. Mm -hmm. And that's how we shot this scene with those three, obviously up in this massive tall bridge. 
they were in, I believe, our stunt room. Were they in our stunt room? And that's where they they hung them upside down? It was either our stunt room or I think it's... I think where it actually was was what became our second soundstage. Oh. Because we didn't have... We only really had one or two sets built. We had the uh, Hotel de Mort slash Magnus's apartment mm-hmm. set. And we had the Institute set. And then our second soundstage became Simon's house. And we had Jade Wolf in there. But we didn't really have much else. And so, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. became our rotating set that they would build different things. Yeah. That we had we had a few more established sets in, in the That's future. Right. but. At that point, that was just kind of where they would throw things up. You know what we should do? Let's not mention what is and isn't a set. Okay. Yet. And later on, let's once these have sort of been released, let's later on, let's let's run a poll. Yeah. Let's run a poll to see how many people think certain sets are sets versus which sets are actually on location. That's actually Because I think they did such a good job with so many of them. I think that's a really cool idea. If we put, you know, let's say 50 of our locations up. Yeah. Ignoring the obvious ones, the Institute obviously was, it, we built that in the studio, <laughs> and I think most people have sort of seen that. But yeah. a lot of these other ones, you wouldn't necessarily be sure because they did such a good job. So it'd be interesting, it would be interesting for people to sort of judge whether or not, like, did they do this? Mm-hmm. Did they do this? So let's let's put an earmark in that for the future, and maybe we'll run a little, a little competition, and the winner gets to take Cat. Volunteering me as tribute? <laughs> Happily. We can't Happily. There's no way. Anyway... Kat, we we discussed sort of somewhat the accoutrement that you have, your outfits, and how potentially unwelcoming they were to the environment. So why don't you tell us? Why don't you tell us from the horse's mouth, as it were, what the yes. issue was on this day? Well, at this point, Clary is still wearing Isabel's clothing because she has yet to, you know, Amazon Prime some leather jackets of her own to the institute. Um, or however the shadow hunters get their clothes. I don't know. I just assume, Emerald and I used to always talk about this. I just assume that, you know, they're constantly delivering different things to the outside of this old decrepit church. And either we have someone on the inside of UPS or just people just leave boxes and have no idea where they go. However it happens, it happens. But it happened to rain that night that we were out under the bridge filming all of this. And in order to attempt to make it less muddy, because all of us tended to sink into that ground as we were running downhill to the van, they put plywood down and then they put leaves and other accoutrement to disguise this plywood so it didn't look like they just slapped it something on the ground in the middle of nowhere. But in essence, what that led to in my eight-inch stiletto boots is a bit of ice skating down the hill. And as Dom knows, I am not good at ice skating at all. As you will all know, at some point in the not-too-distant future, <laughs> we're going to discuss cat ice skating ability for sure. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, I'm sure. But, you know, there was a very particular take that I think, again, clumsy cat rises again. Uh, and Dom, you got a bit of a kick out of as we were sprinting down the hill with my gusto. I started sliding and ended up face planting into the panda van, which yeah. I was very glad it was there to catch me, but it, it was not the most comfortable of it things to run into. Yeah. But again, comic relief. Comic relief. Solid yes. comic relief for the day. I mean, look, thank God you weren't injured. Obviously that it was the number one thing we <laughs> want to avoid, but yeah, it was a little like you know, once it starts going, once someone starts sliding, it's that sort of slow motion car crash thing where you're like, 
someone should do something, but nobody has the ability. So I guess she's just going to hit it. <laughs> what we do, yep. she's just going to keep Literally going. Literally in this case, car crash. And that was, yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> but, you know, cre- honestly, credit to, credit to you, Kat. You know, you pick yourself up and you dust yourself off and you keep going. And that's a mark of a true professional. That's what we all do, as we will discover yeah. next week. I have some fun stories. Well, not fun. <laughs> some stories. For me, you but, have some stories. You know, I have some stories about some what happened stories. in episode three. <laughs> I have some more stories. But credit, I want to give some credit quickly to a few people in this. First of all, what you have to understand as a guest star, so there are like tiers of, um, I guess, contracts when you come into a TV show and they offer you a different sort of, a different role within within the family when you join the show. So for example, the roles that Kat and I had and Matt and Emerard and Alberto and Isaiah. Harry and Isaiah, we were series regulars. So we were we were signed under a contract and we sort of knew us seven were going to be kind of the core group of what we created this world around. And that's great. So we obviously spent the most time together. Then you get characters like David, like Raphael, who come in and they're called guest stars and they come in for an undetermined amount of episodes and just have to be a part of this family as if they have been with us the entire time when we have trained together and we have learned fight scenes together and we've developed these characters together and these guest stars have to come in and just just perform as if they've been a part of this world forever. And they do such a good job. And it's honestly one of the harder jobs on set to do because it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. It's a terrifying thing to do. You don't know these people. You don't know the crew. You don't, you know, and it's very rare that you come in and people are rude to you or mean to you, but you'd never know. So you're coming in just completely on your own. It's like joining a new school three years into the school, you know, term. It's it's really hard work and they all do such a good job. And David particularly sat in very, very well with us. And then also... We we were talking about the Silent Brothers earlier, and as all of you who've watched the episode will have noticed, I'm sure they have sewn up eyes and sewn up mouths, i.e. Silent Brothers. And they are in that for the day, especially Stephen is in that. I think Stephen actually had the makeup on his face. There was the prosthetics over his eyes, so he literally can't open his eyes, and then prosthetics over his mouth as well. So all he really eats for the day is anything he can get through a straw in between the sutures in his lips. And I think towards the end, some of the other guys had pre-built masks on so they could just take those off and they were okay. But Steven, another one of our guest stars, came in and didn't complain. He just did his thing and he was in it for the hours that he was in it for. And at the end of the day, he got to take it off and we would share cigarettes with each other outside, which was hilarious <laughs> watching him trying to smoke through a little gap in his lip oh suit God, that's amazing. and then get rid of it. Um, but guest stars deserve so much more credit than I think they're given yeah. because they re- they really do have a really tough job and I will give credit to them as as and when they come along throughout the series because they do an amazing job. Well, especially with a show like ours that has so much mythology and and so much to kind of play catch up on. You know, they're not given mm-hmm. a they're not given a Shadowhunters Codex when they get to work in the morning. No. Although we did keep one in the hair and makeup trailer. We did keep one. Yeah, I don't know where we that did. ended up. We did keep one. We also, also, there are times when they didn't know what had happened previously in the story. Mm-hmm. So they would come in and, you know, hadn't been given the scripts in between. So let's say a character, Nicola is a good example comes in, you know, and there's been eight episodes in between. So she came in episode two and then she comes in again in episode 10. And she's like, hey, 
walking onto set she's like hey just so i know what has happened between then and now and i'm like oh shit lots <laughs> we're gonna <laughs> need 20 minutes up. hang on a whole yeah. <laughs> lot of stuff has happened just so you know my last name isn't the same as it was last time you came in right p.s we're gonna and say that so many things but also too as to your point a lot of these guest stars that come in are playing these characters that have hindering elements whether it be a stitched up mouth or you know david was in that white makeup for a lot mm-hmm. of season one and so many you know our Seelys had the ears and and some of our like hubert and some of the guys who came in to play demons were in full silicone suits head to toe for 10 or more hours a day and it, yeah. it just really speaks to the the teamwork not only of our hair and makeup and wardrobe and prosthetics teams that that helped these people through the day but to how great of sports these actors were to come in and go, yeah, sure, I'll do this for, you know, 10 or more hours a day and I'll figure this out and play ball with all of you as we kind of build this world. And it, I think that's why we ended up bringing so many people back because we had Mm -hmm. so many fantastic performers come in and just absolutely knock it out of the park, which made it fun for us. Because sometimes Mm -hmm. when you have a new character coming in, you don't know, you're just meeting as you walk onto set and you don't know how it's going to be or you haven't had a chemistry test with them and you have no idea what you're going to going to get and time and time again we we were so impressed by these folks who came in and just absolutely brought so much to the world and helped to fill it out in such a beautiful way and became a part of our our family up in Toronto yeah absolutely all righty well listen i think that brings us pretty neatly towards the end of the episode and i think cat what can you tease about what's coming next Tell Ooh, us. What is coming I know next? what I can tease, but I don't. I feel like it gives away quite a lot. Yeah. Well, I think we have uh, a couple of key things we can tease: vampires, more vampires, vampires, lots of vampires, um, motorcycles, a motorcycle, a motorcycle. Oh no, there are more. You're right. No, you're right. You're right. There's more than but one. one. We just only ride one. One key motorcycle. One very specific motorcycle. A very specific motorcycle. Uh, glamours. We see glamours for the first time. Oh, yeah. Lots of glamours. And I can't remember what we're after, but we're after something. Simon, at this point. I mean, we're still after still? Jocelyn. Yeah, because remember, he gets taken at the end of three, and then or at the end of two, and three is when we go get him. Yeah. Doesn't matter. We'll discuss it in the next episode. We're all going to figure it out together. It's going to be great. It's true. We're going to figure out what we're after together. What else can we tease? I had a pretty, I, I had a traumatic time in episode three. You really did. I'm going to tell you all about it when we discuss it on the podcast, but I had a, I had a rough time in episode three. Yeah, it was, it was a rough time, but you were, you were a trooper through it, you know, despite that day that you had and, and, you know, we're going to talk about it, but it all happened in the course of a few hours. Yeah. You still had a smile on your face and you still... Yeah. You still made it work and you still were, you know, the somewhat toothless smile, you might even say. <laughs> still shining nonetheless, my dear. Yeah. Well, listen, everyone, thank you so much, as always, for being a part of our uh, Return to the Shadows. Thank you for listening and we will see you next time. Cat? And we will bid you Herondale and farewell. Return to the Shadows is hosted and executive produced by Catherine McNamara and Dominic Sherwood. Our executive producer is Ling Lee. Our senior producers are Liz Hayes and Diego Tapia. And our producers are Hannah Harris and Kristen Vermilia. Original music by Alex Kinsey and performed by Alex Kinsey and Catherine McNamara. The episode was mixed by Seth Polanski.
I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star starting May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 